0: Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Akshay Nanavati. Akshay is a speaker, adventurer, entrepreneur. He's a military veteran and a writer. He is a success coach at Human Potential Development and the owner and founder of Ameri Adventures. Akshay is also the author of the book Fearvana, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and some of the projects you're working on?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I so my journey to kind of get to where I'm at now with Fearvana, you know, when I moved to the US back when I was 13, got into drugs soon after that, Pretty heavily lost two friends to drug addiction. Thankfully, I got out I joined the Marines despite two doctors telling me that I had a blood disorder that would kill me in Marine Corps boot camp but obviously I survived and I started to love the process of struggle the process of engaging my fears so from the Marines I went mountain climbing cave diving ice diving like nature became my playground to explore my limitations and ultimately my perceived limitations Then in 2007, I was was sent to Iraq as an infantry marine, where one of my jobs was actually to walk out in front of our vehicle convoys to look for improvised explosive devices before they could blow up our vehicles. So it taught me a lot about engaging fear. (laughs) And, uh, And then after that, came back, was diagnosed with PTSD, struggled with alcoholism, struggled with depression, just got into some dark places. And when I woke up one day, thought about taking my own life, that was a big shock to me and kind of a transformation point. That led me to research in neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, and ultimately this concept of fear of and that struggle is an access point to bliss. And living a happy, meaningful life means developing a positive relationship to struggle. And so I wrote the book Fear was very blessed how that went out. The Dalai Lama wrote the foreword for it. And now what I'm doing is turning the concept of fear of into a movement with a series of products and services to help people develop a positive relationship to struggle so they can live a happier life. That's my whole story. <laughs> a lot there. <laughs> I, 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 there is a lot there and there's a lot to unpack. And, and I know there's even
0: more behind, behind that story. But yeah, I, I mean, some of the stuff you're talking about to someone who's listening to this probably is going to seem super extreme. Right. And I mean, even just like you talking about the way that you framed the idea of joining military service you're like two doctors told me if i did it i would die and i did it yeah (laughs) is there more to unpack there like i mean why why
1: why would you do that if that was the case uh well i mean see when i when i decided to join it was i had just gotten out of this pretty like pretty bad world of drugs i mean i was heavily into it me and one friend were the first two to start going into drugs seriously that friend is no longer alive today he od'd and I could, I mean, it could have very easily been me. I was ready to do any drug that came my way. And after watching this movie, Black Hawk Down, it was a transformational point for me. Very powerful war movie, right? Like it's based on a true story. And just watching the courage of these men sacrificing their lives for their fellow human beings triggered something in me about the nature of that courage. I mean, what kind of people would be able to do that? And ultimately, I came to see and realize that war brought out the best and worst in humanity and experiencing humanity at that extremes and such an intense level was something fascinating that I was then drawn to. I wanted to put myself in a world where it's not about you. I mean, in the Marines they don't they don't care about your well-being. What matters is the good of the group. And I wanted to experience that. I wanted to test myself. I wanted to stop living this very selfish and meaningless existence. So I decided to join. And at that point it it consumed me. I was so obsessed with that purpose. It didn't matter what anybody told me. I mean, I had to battle my parents because I was and I was not even a US citizen at the time and this was post 9/11. It was almost inevitable I was going to go to Iraq, you know. So they weren't too stoked about the idea uh and i was and you know doctors told me i couldn't go i had to fight my way in. i had flat feet so i had all these disqualifying conditions but i so i had to took me took me about a year and a half to get the medical waivers and go through this whole process to kind of fight my way into the marines but when something consumes your soul there's nothing that's going to stop you if you you know if you let it let let that let that path guide you and that's really where i was
0: what were some of the things that you picked up in the marines and it can be positive or negative you talked about ptsd
1: uh, I mean, again, even with ptSD, I feel I, in, I think in time it was a positive experience. It was obviously hard during the experience, but I mean, some of the beauty beautiful things were just the camaraderie serving in an institution where, again, separate from all the politics of wars and all that, I'm not going to get into that whole thing, But just in terms of the on the ground experience, you you know, you serve in a group that where what matters in war is the men and the mission. Your well-being does not matter. And I love that. I love that experience of that you know and again putting yourself in a situation where you get to test and you get to see the best and worst of humanity even seeing in iraq the resilience of the iraqi people i mean what they've been through is just pure suffering and the resilience you know you get to experience something so much more on an intense level and ultimately my own limitations that i could shatter not only did i graduate boot camp but i was i was the honor graduate in infantry school and after you know two doctors told me that uh, i would i would die in boot camp so pushing my own limitations, finding the beauty of enge- like working together as one in service of a mission and really experiencing humanity at a whole different level. That was tremendous. I mean, being a Marine today is a huge part of my identity. I love it. I love being, uh, I mean, I'm so damn proud of it, you know, and not just because of what I did, but really because I got to serve in an institution of warriors and, you know, that, that was a beautiful, beautiful experience. What did that mean to you, serving in an institution of warriors? taught you about your like yourself as well like you know you can you can do more than you think you can but really it taught you about how it's not about you you know i mean like i lost a friend in the war and when i like when i joined this unit my unit and right after boot camp me and this guy became very close we volunteered to go to war every chance we could and we were the same kind of marine like we did everything together, we shot rifle range together, we would train, we would run together, but I'd always beat him at everything in a few few points, you know? And so one summer while I was volunteering I mean, while I was vacationing in India, he ended up finding a unit to go with and he never came back. He was killed out there. He was promoted to corporal and as a result he was put in a seat that was hit with an IED. And I always felt that if, if it had been me, I should have gone with him. And so it would have been me that hopefully would have gotten that promotion and it would have been me that died instead of him. And so really what it means to me, that experience is like that idea and also just going to war myself and the brothers that have come out of it is that there's it's like the greatest love, you know, like there's that quote, I think, from Band of Brothers that there is no greater love than those who are willing to sacrifice their lives for somebody else or for your fellow brother. I'm kind of destroying the quote, but you get the idea behind it. And to this day, that lives with me. I mean. If you don't, I think Martin Luther King said, if you don't have something you're willing to die for, you know, you're not, you're not fit to live. And I know that might be extreme, but the point is that it taught me that there's something willing to still die for. There is human beings out there that are constantly suffering and, and your life is not just about you. It's about something greater than you. And that I think is the biggest lesson, uh, that has lived with me to this day.
0: Some of the people are listening to this. I'm sure have gone to war. Most of them probably will never go to war how can they take these lessons and apply them to
1: their more ordinary lives i mean in life we're battling our own wars constantly right it might not be this external war but we go through the suffering of life constantly you know and realizing that again when you when you focus on it's not about you it actually on a sort of a neurological level it, really, it helps release oxytocin in the brain and they've done plenty of studies that show that if you focus on service it helps you push through your own struggle it helps you push through your own fears so it doesn't reduce the sort of biological reaction of fear but it helps you push through it and plenty of studies have validated that so that's one thing you know and even another thing that i learned in iraq like my first two months out there i was miserable hated my life but i transformed that experience and realized that you can be in a hellish world around you and still find peace within And that is a game changer in life because we all go through our struggle. Obviously, it's not just veterans who suffer. All human beings go through some suffering in life, but no matter what is hitting you, no matter how life punches you in the face, there's a gift in that experience and it's up to you to find it and seek it. But the first thing to realize is that struggle can be a gift, you know, whatever, however it shows up in whether it's war, whether it's a divorce, uh, which I also recently went through. I mean, whatever it may be, you know, the suffering we go through in life can be a beautiful gift if you look for that gift and then find the lessons in that gift.
0: Wait, did you say you just went through a divorce or someone you know went through a divorce?
1: Some, I did as well. It was brutal. One of the toughest things I went through, man. (laughs) Absolutely brutal. Just went through that recently. It was, uh, you know, and I went through some tough times with that. But again, you come out on the other side, you learn from your suffering and, uh, and I, I always say that I never would have wanted it, but I'm always grateful to have experienced a new kind of suffering because through that, you can not only get a new kind of growth, but you get to serve people in a different way. Like now I can empathize with people who go through that in a whole different way. And as a result, I can serve them in a different way. So I have, I have this array of things I've gone through in life, and each one allows me to empathize with someone who's gone through that in a deeper and more meaningful way cuz I've touched I've experienced it within. And that's a beautiful thing cuz I get to serve that, you know, I get to commu- uh, to contribute to that. And uh, that's that's why I'm always grateful for whatever suffering shows up. Not uh, not often at the time, <laughs> but <laughs> but in time, in time you you find that gratitude.
0: I have come to a very similar realization and I found that some of the biggest traumas in my life have allowed me to create some of the deepest connections. Once I was, I allowed myself to open up and talk about them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like, great point is the ability to open up, talk about them and own your own, your story, all your suffering, all your struggle, just own it, make it all part of you. Like our demons, our struggles, our divinity, all of it is part of us, right? And owning all of that is a, is a game changer.
0: Well, I, I think one of the cha- challenges with, for a lot of guys is, and people in general, is we have a tendency to suppress things that aren't going to make us look good or we're embarrassed about yeah. or we're ashamed or we compartmentalize yeah. uh, these things and and hope that they're going to go away or attempt to control yep. them, yep. right? <laughs> and, and so when you start to talk about them, it releases all of that.
1: Yeah. I no, no, mean, totally, totally right. Like, especially with guys, right? Like there's this sort of don't cry, like if you're not a man, like this attitude. If you show emotions, you're weak, right? And especially in the Marines, like God knows that's taken to a whole nother level. That sort of machoism, right? But man, like uh, experiencing, like just fully experiencing the depth of every emotion, however it shows up, is, tr- I think the uh, the greatest courage. I mean, to this day, sometimes I watch war movies knowing they'll make me cry, and they always do. Like they tear me up, but I love the intensity of that experience. And you know, something you said about really owning your struggle. I was talking to somebody once who. She actually was working with people in healing, but she had gone through her own battles with alcoholism, and she was scared to share that because she felt like it would, you know, tarnish her reputation, and I said, actually, that will bring more people closer to you, and finally, she started owning her story, and she, I mean, she sent me a text recently about how it was a game-changer for her to own her story and how people started coming to her more because it's in vulnerability that there's deeper connection.
0: You talked about exploration of each emotion. You said that, and what is that process like for you, Are you just sort of, Aware? Are you thinking about what you're feeling? Are you like emanating the feeling? I don't even know that's yeah. a fucking word. <laughs> like, um, but can, can you try try to
1: articulate people yeah. to people who are listening what that means? Absolutely. It is definitely just, I mean, one practice is just awareness. Like, I mean, it's as simple as labeling your emotion, noticing it, because often we kind of go through life on autopilot, but notice what you're feeling and engage it. And the realization that there are no bad or good emotions, because we often put certain emotions in a negative category, right? Like fear, anger, guilt, stress, anxiety, that these are quote unquote negative. And then we have the positive emotions on the flip side, but recognizing that there are no bad or good emotions, that every emotion can be a gift. Like, you know, I mentioned my friend I lost in war. I struggle with survivor's guilt I mean to this day I'm looking at this picture right now of me and my friend and it says this should have been you earn this life so my guilt became my ally you know anger can be beautiful the thing is you want to be with every emotion but you don't have to let that emotion become you and it doesn't have to define you so exploring the emotions and sometimes if you really want to as you become more aware and kind of you know evolve in this consciousness It's, you can actually trigger and seek out certain emotions. So as I mentioned to this day, I sometimes watch war movies consciously knowing they will make me cry because I love seeking out the intensity of that emotion. So these days, like if I want to engage fear, I can engage fear. If I want to engage my guilt, I can do that. Happiness, anger, whatever emotion I want to, I've created a set of triggers that I can put myself in because sometimes experiencing the range and the depth of emotion allows each one to be amplified to a different level. So if you can experience sadness and your tears in a deeper level, it allows you to experience the happiness and joy at a deeper level. Because that's the really the beauty of life, is not just the elimination of these quote unquote negative emotions or the more challenging emotions, it's experiencing the range of them. And every emotion is beautiful.
0: I have a couple, well, you know, one thing I, I, I thought about as you've talked about this, and so you said that after the military, you uh, you started to drink a lot and it sounds like mm-hmm. your life mm-hmm. fell apart a little bit. Can you expand on sure what that means
1: yeah it I mean it was years later that I was diagnosed with PTSD but I mean cuz I came back and I, I went to undergrad finished my senior year then went to masters my master's program and you know I was a college student drinking right so I was got my good grades but I never really saw it as a problem I mean I would party hard in, in weekends and I mean my problem was not sort of daily drinking it's more that when I drank I drank a lot and uh, after college, got a job, I was still like pretty fit. I mean, I spent a month in 2012 dragging 190 pound sled for 350 miles across the world's second largest ice cap, right? So I was doing some intense things. But after that, it was when it started to hit really deeply when all of that, the, the ways to run away from myself through a structured job, through these adventures disappeared, starting my own business, and suddenly there was this freedom which gives you the luxury to ponder your life, and as that happens, the chaos starts to rain in, you know. And so I started to have some problems in my marriage, uh, physically, to be very honest and frank about it. And it wasn't, you know, anything physical; it was a psychological thing. So that's when my wife pushed me to go get checked up by the VA, and they diagnosed me with PTSD. And uh, and it started to delve deeper and deeper into the darkness as that process started to evolve and uh, and explore the range of what was causing these uh, these challenges and as i delve deeper and deeper that's when it eventually hit a breaking point i mean i used to drink like dude i mean i would go for days on binge just downing i mean i would down like a liter of vodka drink till i pass out wake up and drink some more and then when i woke up to the point and the bottle was gone i would drive over to the store and get some more man like this would go on for days to the point that finally i was like my body just couldn't handle it anymore and then i'd sober up and be like what the hell am i doing this needs to change and then a few weeks later, or a few days, I don't know however it was, back then it was a few days, but a little later on it was a few weeks, and eventually we just dive right back into the pit, Till one day I just woke up and thought about ending it all. And that was really a, a transformational point. I mean, I'm not going to lie, truth to be told is, I uh, after making the decision to go sober, which was not after I sobered up, I mean, after I got to that suicide point, I just I, I learned to moderate it for a little while, but eventually it, the triggers would still hit, and so I made a decision to go sober, after that I broke my sobriety a bunch, <laughs> but I um uh, you know finally in a good place now so
0: well that I mean that's just part of what it means to be a human being right like we trip and we fall and then we trip again and we fall and maybe we scratch our knee and then we stand back up and and I was also thinking about tragedy tragedy I and mean, we we spend so much time in our childhood being protected from it assuming that you have good parents right they protect you from tra- tragedy and if people if you're not protected from tragedy as a child and your parents are fuck ups but the reality is uh i mean i don't mean that every case but tragedy is just part of life right and and we're going to have it the people around us are going to die we're going to make mistakes we're not always going to have the right answer we're going to embarrass ourselves sometimes we're going to feel ashamed sometimes we're going to feel resentment bad emotions are going to come along sometimes we're going to have dark thoughts i mean i thought about when you said the ptsd stuff um this is a pretty intimate question, but when you're alone and your wife was the PTSD kicking in and having like
1: panic attack type stuff or like, wh- like, do you feel comfortable talking about kind of sure, what's Yeah, on? absolutely. I feel yeah. very comfortable sharing everything. I mean, with me, it wasn't so much panic attacks. It was more, you know, constantly struggling with the guilt. Like I felt like I didn't have a right to be happy have didn't never have, have, have a right to be alive it should have been me that died in the war i mean uh what right did i have to come back when you know my friend died when others have suffered more than me i came back and a few months later my one of my junior marines shot himself in the head and uh you know so all these people suffer and it was like what right do i have to and as a result the guilt drove me and you know i struggle with being in crowds i struggled with loud noises i struggled with just just people sometimes you know i mean i'm a social person but often it was like, uh, you know, still struggling with that. And uh, so it was a lot of, you know, those kind of symptoms. Again, as I said, struggling physically with my wife, you know, and just the inability to be fully present in a moment of love and intimacy and joy, that was uh, a challenge.
0: <laughs> when you say you don't feel comfortable in crowds, like because I think people who aren't familiar with that, they don't understand quite what that means. Like what what's happening in your body when you're in a large crowd or what happened is happening in your body when you are you hear a loud sudden noise
1: yeah you know you get this uh hyper vigilance in crowds uh, uh like an anxiety a fear response and immediate like if loud noise immediate sort of the jump right you jump and look what's going on like it it's it, it, you know there's this there's this intense fearful anxiety response like it's called the amygdala hijack you know your body just is on suddenly on high alert Uh, Even in crowds always hypervigilant could not stand going into New York City uh, because I lived in Jersey So just going across the river sometimes had to go for work or whatever could not stand it hated the crowd hated the 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 tension of the sort of enclosed buildings and uh, Yeah, Jeff just a lot of that anxiety and a lot of that Hypervigilance that obviously I've kind of worked through now, but it that's that was pretty intense for a moment there I was
0: interviewing a psychiatrist and he runs a a center at Harvard incredibly bright guy and he was talking about how he's like you might have like eight units of consciousness uh but anxiety or fear like they move up to the front so they might use the first six and then you're left with two left and you're just like you can't can't be present in the same way which sort of leads me to the next question which you talked a little bit about the alcoholism afterwards was was that a form of self-medication
1: yeah uh self-medication running away from it all you know running away from life uh I mean, since the kind of the pattern in college became not just a way to, oh, this is what you do. This is how you enjoy your moment. It it was a way to shut off, uh, shut off the mind, shut off the chaos of consciousness, uh, to run away from the demons that I refuse to engage. And what I realized that sometimes even the positive things you can do can be a way of running away. Like I mentioned, you know, skiing across an ice cap for a month it was honestly looking back it was a way of me running away from myself running away from the demons like today i still do some things like that like i still run across countries i would do intense adventures but i'm doing it from a very different level of consciousness i'm not running away anymore so it was almost everything i was doing because even like going on these intense adventures you know climbing mountains and skiing across ice caps it was a way to put myself back into a very simple environment where your life is on the line and there was a beauty about that simplicity. There's a beauty to the simplicity of war, which I missed in the complexities of this life. Um, so drinking was a way to run away from the complexities of this life.
0: Also, when your life is on the line, it forces you to be conscious in a way that you might not in a day-to-day
1: way. Yeah, it's a great point, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, You're so much more present, you're so much more aware. You're not thinking that far into the future or past, you just are there. And Again, that's that's why kind of war is very addictive separate from all obviously the inhumanity that exists in it It's uh, the experience of it for an individual can be very addictive Which is one of the reasons why we see uh, among a few others why we see many people return from war struggling because this this world is mundane, man it's uh, (laughs) a You just kind of seek out the intensity, but this world is mundane compared to that amplified intense experience of war
0: one of the things that I was going to say earlier and I want to bring it back for someone who's listening to this, they might say, fuck, this dude is intense,
1: <laughs> right? Like
0: I, I'm like, I'm not that intense. This guy is super intense, whether it's like yeah. putting his life on the line or like extreme activities or sports or uh chemical dependencies or like everything he's done, including the intensity of how you approach emotions, right? Um, There's like this very very intense way that you connect or that you've described so far, the feeling of emotions or the intent to feel emotions. And do you think there's some of that, the sort of same elements there? Do you think it's part of your personality? Like what do you think is happening with you or are you aware?
1: No, absolutely. I get that I'm (laughs) intense Uh, and I'm not, I'm not unaware of that. I, I, I've noticed that I'm not the first person to tell me that. (laughs) Uh, I think it's a result of you know my experiences that have pushed me there and also a result of me seeking out such experiences like sort of a combination of the two and i guess i thrive on that intensity too now like it's what makes me me you know i can i will not i guess i, I can't i won't say I cannot because i ch- i guess ultimately choose to but i choose not to reduce this because this makes me me i'm not saying everybody needs it of course not make yourself whoever you you know your best version of yourself my intensity makes me the best version of myself. I mean, even right now, as I talk to you behind me is my vision board where I have a picture of this child covered in blood from a war and it says, people are dying. This is all on you. So it reminds me like my purpose is this to support and save this, you know, and that's, that kind of stuff around me keeps me in a pretty intense state of mind, but it's what I need to thrive. Uh, so the ultimately the reality I think for anybody listening is Find what you need. Make yourself the best version of yourself and create an environment around that, that can that is conducive. You absolutely don't need to be me or anybody else, right? Like you can have mentors and people you admire, but ultimately use that as a tool to enhance yourself and your best version of the self you want to create. Yeah, I
0: think there's a lesson in there about being there's definitely a lesson there about being yourself. I was trying to think of a metaphor and I was like, well, maybe like fire, you put fire in a box and it melts the box, right? And, uh, or destroys the box. It destroys the environment, but you put fire out in the open and people can enjoy it, enjoy the warmth. Right. And, um, what are the things that, that you think really drive you You sort of began to describe them and, and what is your overall or longer term vision, for your life or do you have one are you just
1: yeah absolutely Uh, i mean right now my my my, i mean not right now really the two all-consuming paths. If my life is one, is uh, to run <laughs> across every country in the world. I'm like physically run across. I'm a big ultra runner. And the two is to build out this Fearvana business uh, universe that I am creating. So what I'm now doing with this concept of Fearvana is creating like a Fearvana Academy, Fearvana Fitness, Fearvana Festivals, Fearvana Retreats. I got a nonprofit called the Fearvana Foundation. So really building an ecosystem around this idea because I've come to learn and through my experience and through experience with many, many other people that I believe Fearvana is really the core essence of helping people navigate the struggles of life. So what the three, what what Fearvana is about is to help people live a life of boundless bliss. And in order to do so, there's three things, help you find, live and love your worthy struggle. So your worthy struggle is your path. It's your mission. So my worthy struggle is now running across the world and creating the Spherevana universe to support others in navigating their own struggle. Uh, and that's really all-consuming for the rest of my life. That's what I'll be doing.
0: There's beauty and clarity. H- how has that clarity affected you and the way that you feel in your day-to-day
1: life? Oh, it's a game changer. I mean, it, and it certainly didn't happen overnight, right? Like, I'm 33, about to turn 34 in, in a few weeks, and uh it. I mean, I know some people, like you know, when they're 10 years old. I have a friend who was when she was a kid, she knew she wanted to be a grandmaster in chess and navigated that. For me, it wasn't as clear. It took a little while to get there. So if you're you know if you haven't figured it out yet, it's cool. There's we all we have life is long and beautiful. But now with that clarity, it's it gives it purpose. It gives it direction. It 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 gives me an ability to have that that all-consuming struggle to like literally take over the depths of my soul like I said when I got out of drugs I knew that the marines was my world and having that clarity having that it didn't matter what the world said it didn't matter and I it also is a way to shut like I that's how I got out of drugs you know so with alcohol it's been a little bit of a tougher fight but when I but allowing myself to be consumed by a vision by a clear vision because if it's not clear then you get lost in the chaos it allows you to not I wouldn't say keep the demons at bay because I think engaging the demons is a value, but it allows you to rise above those demons consistently in service of something greater. So the clarity is essential. I have a question. When you go back to alcohol, what is it that you get? Well, when I went back, uh, I mean, not that I I don't drink anymore, but when I did fall a few times, it was, um, you know, it was, again, life hit, like stuff with my wife, life hit, ran away, wanted to run away. And again, when I, when I, fell like I fall hard like again I went back into a you know not just drink a few beers it was like let's get hammered for days on end kind of thing so uh uh, but it was yeah it was running away it was not like it was allowing the chaos to consume me again the chaos of that consciousness and to avoid the 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 sort of the worthy struggle you know the worthy struggle is my mission And sometimes, you know, it's it's, again, it's not as clear as living in war, even though I have clear picture day to day business running, like I don't know how to build an empire just yet. You know, you don't, there's there's unknowns to navigate that are not so uh, present in a sort of intense wartime environment. Um, I mean, of course, there's unknowns, but it's a kind of clearer picture there, you just go through your day to day. So that was the that was a way of running away from the world and a new kind of struggle, especially like the situation my wife and all that. But you know, that was really the, and I'm not going to blame her, of course. I take responsibility for it, but, uh, but yeah, that was why I fell. Again, I think ultimately it's just a matter of running away.
0: It, would you have done it differently now, or what would be more constructive out, outlets if you were to run across more challenges in life? Because it sounds like, I mean, we know in life everyone here is going, including myself, is going <laughs> to run into them.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, there's two kinds of challenges. I've come to realize ones, the ones you seek out in service of your own growth, like as an ultra runner, of course, I suffer a lot, but I'm seeking that out. Uh, And then there's the ones that life throws your way. Right. And those ones are a little harder to deal with because you're not consciously choosing them. Uh, And those are the ones that you That's the time that you really need to engage the struggle. Like I realized, I mean, I didn't fall the way I fell after like the war. I mean, you know, had a few slips here and there, but not close to the way I, I really got myself consumed after the war because I did learn that running away from the pain, whether it be in a positive way or a negative way, is not healthy. So I could run away from the pain in a positive way, like consume myself in work, consume myself in running, but that's not healthy. In the long run, those demons will rise back up. So engaging the pain and being present to it a lot more and exercising more awareness. So like doing things like the journaling, processing all of it, being with it, uh, understanding it, you know, what, what are the lessons? What is the awakening to be had in this new struggle? Um And allowing yourself, I mean, acknowledging that these certain patterns will, I mean, like i I probably will experience some uh some some moments where i want to drink again in the future i wouldn't be surprised if that shows up i can't say 100 percent that it will or it won't but i wouldn't be surprised if it does that's where that mindfulness engaging like you know is this who i really want to be you know and uh but the more you let yourself be consumed by your vision i think the less that will happen uh because then then it i mean you sleep breathe eat it you know i mean it just it just consumes you and that's that's a, that's one thing that i think is is essential i mean one of the challenges for me was because i'm trying to do so much like run across the world and create 20 different fear things although it sounds clear there was too many things happening so that that overwhelm consumed me you know so now i'm really working on simplifying what that is so it's like okay one path to stay obsessed to like the next immediate mission, the next immediate Firvana venture, the next immediate run, uh, and letting that consume the entirety of my being. Like staying obsessed is essential. I think obsession is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Like forget about work-life balance. Choose your path and let it consume all areas of your life. Like I talk about my family as I do right now in my work, and I talk about my work to my family all the time because it consumes me, you know, the the the, the person I want to be, the vision, and I think that's a good thing. Obsession is a beautiful thing and And, in order to be obsessed, you need to have immense clarity. so that's that's kind of partly what was missing is that there were too many things happening. And as a result, I get i let the com- I let the complexities and the overwhelm drive me into the darkness again.
0: dating coach Chris Lona here, this is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast. And then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious and I know that you are about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I'm asking you some really tough questions. And for people people who are listening to this for the first time, I mean, these are questions that, these are things that I open up about all the time, my own struggles. And so uh, challenges that I've had, um, like I've had all kinds of shit go wrong in my life as well. And so um, I, I just want, if you're a listener to understand that I'm asking these questions because you might be going through something really similar, uh, or you may go through something similar and there's a lot of depth here and, and things that you can learn and grow and to either help you through your journey or prepare you for that, those next set of rocks or obstacles or whatever. I love the way that you're sharing so much and, and you are opening up and and talking about these things. I I definitely want to get, well, I, I wanted to say one thing first. I interviewed Joe DeSena who started, um, Spartan race recently. And some of the things that you're saying sound similar to some of the things that he was saying in the sense that he does a lot of like ultra endurance stuff. And he goes, yeah. he was telling me one of the things that stood out. He's like, I take cold showers every morning. And I was like, <laughs> Why do you do that? And he's like, Because life is tough and I'm preparing myself for the challenges of life. And he goes,
1: <laughs> And
0: uh, it, like, uh, it was, it was, I mean, it's so funny to think about, but he's like, I'm constantly creating small difficulties in my life to train myself for the more difficult ones. And that include things like building a company, right? And he, he had a goal of of having 100 million people do his races. And and uh, yeah, it, it was just like, so as you were talking about Firvana, I feel like he's definitely a guy you might want to connect with at some point because I think that there's... Some approaches to life. A lot of synergy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I definitely want to get into some of your Firavana work. So I have a series of questions I want to begin to work through. The very first one is some of these things you've already begun to talk about, but the first one is why is it important to embrace fear, struggle, and adversity? And how has that approach changed your life?
1: I think it's important to embrace it because you're going to experience it anyway, for one, (laughs) but also you cannot evolve without that. Like the human animal, it it adapts through stress. It creates you. I mean, through stress, through suffering, through fear, you will evolve into that next self. Like if you don't do something risky, if you don't do something that pushes you outside your comfort zone, you can't change. You'll always be the same version of you. You will be stuck wherever you're at. So you, in, in in order to do something, when you take risks, when you do something new, you're it's going to be fearful, it's going to be stressful, it's going to take some anxiety because it's new, you've never done it before, <laughs> so it's inevitable, it's going to be scary, and but in but that's necessary in order to evolve to the next level of consciousness, in order to rise into the next greatest version of yourself. Uh, but it's that's why it's that's why the, the big beef I have and that's why I created Nirvana is because these emotions are so demonized. I mean, how many experts do you hear say things like be fearless, don't be scared, you know, overcome your fears. And that I think that's complete bullshit. Like be scared. Be scared of whatever the hell you want to be scared of, but the the thing is you don't have to let that fear define you. I'm scared of a ton of things. Today I'm scared of sometimes being alone in my house, dude, which is crazy because I've done some pretty intense things in my life, right? But I'm sitting in my house alone and sometimes fear will show up. And I don't care though how it shows up because I don't let myself be defined by it. And, and again, when I share this with people, they're like, "You've done pretty intense things in life, and that scares you, <laughs> right?" Like, but who? But like again, the thing is, it doesn't matter how it shows up, where it shows up, when it shows up. What matters is what you do with it when it does show up. And the thing is, your brain, like we all have different things that'll trigger fears, you know. But we don't have to let that define us. Like, I for example, I worked with this guy who who was traveling to Iceland on his own. Not like an intense adventure, just kind of a luxury trip. But he was scared. And then what happened was he was beating himself up a of feeling fear. He's like, you know, me as his coach was doing all these intense things, and he's like, you do all these things, climb mountains in the Himalayas. And, you know, and I'm scared of this. And that was his problem. His problem was not the fear. It was that he was beating himself up for the fear. The only, I mean, like I've, I've engaged fear at such a different level that I can now engage more scarier things, like riskier things. But wherever you're at in your fear and risk journey, that's okay to be there. Just push your line one step, push your line two steps, three steps as you keep evolving, you know, and then the line will be further expanded. But that's the key thing is that you cannot grow without that fear and that suffering, like it's it's such a beautiful gift when you learn to practice it,
0: yeah, my next question was how can people leverage negative emotions or situations to use them from their benefit? You yeah. sort have of already began to answer that, but you, is there anything else no, you yeah, want
1: to happy to kind of dig deeper into that? Like with fear, for example, is understand your fears, you know, ask yourself, what am I scared of? What's the greatest, what's the worst case scenario? What can I do to prepare for the worst case scenario? So even writing my book, writing a book on fear, terrifying experience, constantly worried, is this book going to be garbage? Are people going to think it's you know awful? Am I going to get a one star review on Amazon? But by being scared, I allowed myself to prepare for that fear. I always say fear propels you to prepare if you let it, if you choose to engage it. So I started from good authors, people like Jack Canfield, the dude who wrote the Chicken Soup of the Soul series, you know, like... Studying for people like that allowed me to understand how do I write a good book. But I only took on that task because I was scared. If I wasn't scared, I would have just put whatever the hell out there, you know, and not not engaged it. So understand what is the fear. What, and like really dig deep into that fear, and then visualize, visualize your what, what's what's waiting for you on the other side of that fear. What's the reward? Embrace the energy of that fear, you know. So you want to use all these tools, really being clear on the why. Like what am I waiting for on the other side of this fear? That's really key. Like I worked with this one guy who was also saying who said once i'm uh, just waiting for the fear to go away so i can quit my job and start my business firstly i said to him, that's your problem you're waiting for the fear to go away because it's scary right like embrace the fear and be okay with it and then ask yourself what am i scared of am i scared i won't make enough money okay then how much money do i have to make in order to live a meaningful life how do i do that so you're engaging the fear and then visualizing and getting clarity on what's on the other side of it
0: yeah i think that's sage advice um Okay, for someone who's listening to this and they want to feel more alive, I mean, you definitely sound alive. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you kind of fired up talking about it as you, as
0: <laughs> what, 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 can, what can they do to, to feel more alive, to increase their sense of joy and bliss and ab- abundance, like the emotions? Because oftentimes we start suppressing these emotions and then we become monotone or we, we become less emotional, less expressive. What can someone do to change this?
1: I mean, the irony of kind of happiness is we often think happiness is the comfort. Happiness is the result. Like if I make the million dollars, get the house, I'll be happy, but no happiness is in the struggle. So for one, get out there and struggle. And as you develop the confidence through that, it'll change who you are. Like I get like this because I've developed a lot of confidence in my being through struggling a lot, sometimes that not by choice, sometimes the choice that I sought out, but so seek out a struggle. And you will develop confidence my mentor jack canfield says that confidence is, a, is the result of successfully having survived a risk so take those risks in whatever way that you want to take them and that will it will it'll change who you are it'll bring more life into you one of the strongest ways is just exercise like Exercise is this, like it's it's the fundamental thing I think everybody should be doing and almost everybody can do, barring like serious physical issues, of course. But everybody can do it. And I mean, one neuroscientist calls it miracle grow for the brain. Another one says that if he could encapsulate the effects of exercise into a pill, it'd be the best-selling pill of all time. So it's a game changer for for you neurologically, spiritually, psychologically, in every way. So uh, exercising, I think, is fundamental. And when you eat healthy, when you exercise it will just transform your energy. I mean, I exercise a ton, clearly. I eat very, very healthy. That's what gives me this, you know? I wasn't like this when we, like when we go to parties, we think by drinking, I'll have more energy. But when I was drinking, I realized that that was driving me darker. Like I would wake up the next day feeling like shit. You know, I wasn't more energy, like this energy I can be by being sober, not by being drunk, right? Like by being sober, by being healthy, and by being consumed on my vision.
0: This is a side for some of the questions I want to ask you, but for diet and exercise for you, can you talk about where you're at now and where you started? And if for someone who's listening, to this, what should they do if they they want to try to figure out how to get this part of their life in order?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, there's obviously tons of different like uh, uh, diets out. I'm not a big fan of like choosing one of the diets. Like you and and people be, kind of become fanatic. It becomes like your own religion. Like I'm a Paleo, and Paleo is the only right way. To me, there's the basic like things. You, know, I mean, eating healthy is not that complicated. You know, eat your veggies, this, that, and the other thing. Balance the macronutrients: carbs, proteins, fats. Uh, so it doesn't have to be too complicated, but the key is, I mean, like work with the nutritionist for a little bit and get get a system. And then what you want to do is systematize it, so you don't think. So I know what my morning my morning shake is going to be. Uh, another sort of technical little tip here is drink your meals when you're most productive hour. So when you're going to go to work, like forget about eating breakfast, you know, drink your meals. It's a far healthier way to do it because then your body's not using blood for digestion. It's able to f- focus the blood on your brain and, and you're ultimately more productive. So drink your meals certain times, um, get, you know, get the basics down depending on your needs. I mean, for me, I run as the amount I run, I'm, I'm taking in like 3,500, 4,000 calories a day. Cause I need it. Most people probably don't need that. right? So. Uh, and then exercise, you know, again, choose one path. It doesn't have to be running, of course. It can be working out. It can be cycling. It can be Zumba, whatever it may be. Choose one path and then like let it consume you again. Running obviously has taken over my soul, but I spend some time in the gym. And, and uh, so kind of find your path and maybe that'll take some experimentation. But and then set targets. Like if you choose running, like rate, sign up for a 5K, sign up for a 10K marathon, whatever it may be. But setting targets gives you something to work toward. Uh, so you have so you're not just doing it now. You have something to focus on. Uh, and and the, the, again, the big thing that will be a challenge for people is the confusion, but don't get caught up in the, this, that and the other fad. There's so many people saying like, "Do this is the right way. Like this is the right way to eat. Honestly, when you're starting, just do something. <laughs> the big confusion is that we think that there's 40 different ways. So I get lost. And then when you get confused, the paradox of choice hits and you don't make any decision you go back to your old patterns. So, I mean, Put more greens in your salad, you know, like eat, <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, take a, eat a salad with every meal, like doing, doing these kind of basic things are not super complicated, but once you start, like just systematize it and you don't have to get caught up in the 50 million ways that people are telling you to do things and a big one, sorry, side note, forget about all this BS that a lot of people say on, you know, like you'll see these, these ads, like work, walk 14 minutes a day and you'll look like a supermodel that's bullshit. (laughs) The the idea that exercise is a result to the physique is not the ticket. What matters is the process of exercise is the value, not just the end goal of how you're going to look with the six-pack abs. So don't get caught up in that BS about here's the easiest, fastest, quickest way to get your abs. And there's tons of that out there, as we all know. I see it all the time. Anytime I'm out, like these fitness products that advertise that, it's not about looking for the easy way out. It's the suffering that will allow you to grow. And exercise, again, is a great way to practice that suffering.
0: That made me laugh. I thought of two stories, um, and I'll tell them quick. One of them is uh, I was at this this guy's house. He produced this movie called – I don't remember what it was finally called. I think it was maybe called The Awkward Moment. But when I saw it, it was, like, not fully cut in his – I don't know. It was in his apartment in the meatpacking district in New York City. And Zac Efron is in this scene, and he's having sex with this girl doggy style. And he is absolutely fucking shredded. And this guy goes, "Do you know how he got in that type of shape?" And he goes, "And I said, I don't know." He goes, "Well, he was already in great shape, and then he didn't eat anything for three days <laughs> before <laughs> before he filmed that scene, <laughs> and, yeah. and and uh, he's like, all he had was water for three days, and that's how he got into that type of shape." I'm not suggesting if you listen to this to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so what what I'm getting to the point is what the point I'm getting to is that it's unsustainable. And then I had a buddy of mine who is an Abercrombie. And he did basically the same thing. He was like in extraordinary shape, but before Amber Crombie, basically he fasted for two days and that's what he did. And so the reason why I'm bringing that up is because those are two examples where guys might see Images of these dudes and be like, I want to look like that all the time. Guess what? They don't look like that all the time.
1: No, dude, that's a great point. I'm so glad you brought it up because yeah, fitness models do that all the time. I've read of stories of fitness models passing out on shoots because they're like they're so dehydrated or whatever. You know, like they haven't uh, eaten or anything. So, but the problem is again that that we get fed that image, right? So, great point and awesome stories.
0: (laughs) That's it's it's funny. I I had another one more along the same lines. I, I had this guy who I knew who. I, he was at the same college as me, uh, but before I was, and we had mutual friends and the guy was like a natural bodybuilding champion and absolutely fucking shredded. And when when I, first time I met him, he was like that. The second time I saw him, he was like fat. And I was like, wow, man, like, like you look so different. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm training. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, I just like, I put on a lot of weight to try to build muscle. And then right before a competition, I cut it all off. And it's uh he's like same thing. It's just like it's not a sustainable
1: yeah. Not yeah. a
0: sustainable system. So yeah, I, I thought I would share those things. Uh on on your website you talk about finding worthy struggle, right? How can people gain clarity and direction in their lives and and really discover what a worthy struggle
1: is for them? Yeah. You wanna start by working backwards from the lifestyle you wanna create. So Look at like, what are the ingredients of a lifestyle you want to create? Like not everybody wants to travel the world, for example. Some people might want to just stay at home with their family. And that's cool. again, there's no right or wrong, right? So work backwards on a lifestyle you want to be, you want to create. And, and every time you're doing this, be very conscious. Is this being fed into me or is this something I truly want? And sometimes you won't know off the top of your head because again, we're fed with so many images of how we should live and what makes us happy. It's hard to sometimes distinguish. That requires a relentless practice of awareness. So that awareness is just always has to be on and relentless but work backwards from the lifestyle and then ask yourself what quote-unquote jobs meet that criteria and I say quote-unquote because like it could be mountaineering right and that's not a traditional job but that might be the path you seek and I'll give you an example like for me at one point I wanted to be a professional mountaineer but I realized that didn't meet all the criteria for when I what I wanted so it ended up not becoming my path and that's why entrepreneurship is Uh, kind of become a part of it as well. So, you know, you're working backwards from a lifestyle. You're looking at what jobs will meet that. Then look for references. Who are people who meet those who are living that lifestyle, who have those jobs? What are they doing? How are they doing it? Uh, you know, and then, and then look, and and then, and then once you get clear on that is choose that path and pursue it, like burn your boats and let it consume you, you know, like let that becomes your, your vision and you want to become a master at it. And let's say you start and you figure out, this is not it. you can can tweak, you can experiment. Again, I didn't figure this out overnight. It took me a minute to get here, right? Like at one point I wanted to go career military and that changed, but I have no regrets about it whatsoever. So you want to be patient. You want to realize that life is a journey, especially if you're young and listening to this. I mean, the big problem is again, young people and generally, you know, people, we want results instantaneously, right? Like that's the world is also feeding that to us, but you've got to practice that patience. So those those kind of step by step is finding, you know, finding the lifestyle, working backwards, what jobs meet that, who is doing it, how are they doing it? Um and then from there you'll get some clarity on where to take the first step. And then start taking those steps and through that relentless practice of awareness, kind of I call it an action awareness cycle. You're taking action. You're pausing to gain the awareness from that action. You notice is is this your path? And then um and if it's not, you tweak. Like I realize I don't want to be just a sponsored runner, like a professional runner. So that's not what I'm doing. Uh, you know, that's why again my combination is entrepreneurship with running. But it took a minute to figure that because at one point I thought I'd just be a sponsored athlete and just you know be a professional athlete. That's not who I choose to be, and there's nothing obviously right or wrong about it. It's just my path. But that took a minute to figure it out through some action, through some awareness, through taking those steps.
0: One of the things that I was thinking about is uh, as you were talking was. Mentorship, right? Like you mentor other guys, right? But you, it sounds like you also reach out for help. You mentioned Jack Canfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, You, I don't know, how how the hell did you get the Dalai Lama to write a a (laughs) foreword on your book? Like, (laughs) you talked about you being a nutritionist. Um, Can you talk about how that plays into your life?
1: Oh, it's, 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 yeah, everything. I mean, I have a, a buddy of mine who's my nutritionist, he guides me on what I cannot nobody can be an expert at everything so find what you're not an expert at and either get people to mentor you, hire them, sometimes you'll make friends with them, like my buddy's my, my nutrition is my friend. So, you know, I'm not hiring him, but he just said, hey, here's what you should go eat, and I go eat it. <laughs> you know, so I don't have to think, I just follow the system he gives me. Uh, And then, and so I have mentors in every category, like how do I write better? You know, start study from people like that. Uh, how do I become a better public speaker? So I work with the public speaking coach, you know? uh, Running, I have runners that I follow and learn from. Uh, that, I mean, that's how I came on this vision to run across the world. I read about this Australian ultra runner who ran from the north pole the south pole averaging two marathons a day every day for ten and a half months just an insane feat of human endurance so he's my running mentor like and i reach out to a lot of these people you got to take the courage to reach out more people will help you than you think that's what i did with the dalai lama <laughs> i reached out i shot a personal video for him it took me a minute to find It took me like just you know i had to go navigate a lot of time to find the right person in his holiness's office and then build a relationship with him over five months constantly went through self-doubt fear thinking that they hate my book (laughs) they're not responding to me they're ignoring me they hate me this that and the other thing right so it's okay to have all those voices but you don't have to listen to those voices you don't have to let them become you so finding the people in your category who inspire you who, who are you know your mentors and sometimes you just follow what they do you read their books other times you work with them you reach out to them you buy their products, their services. Other times, sometimes some of them will become your friends, you know? So I have a variety, I have mentors in almost every category of, that I follow. Some of them that I directly work with, some of them like Richard Branson, for example, is one of my entrepreneurial mentors. Like his empire with Virgin is almost exactly what I want to do with Firvana, just in a sort of a different space. Uh, obviously, I'm not, I'm not buddies with him, but he's a mentor. I consider him a mentor nonetheless, right? So I read his books, I follow what he's doing. Uh, but I have other mentors like Jack who I've done a lot of work with and interacted with. He also endorsed my book, which I was very blessed by. Uh, and I have other mentors that, like in the running community that I've actually engaged with as well. Like I've spoken to Pat, we might even be running together next year. So, <laughs> so reach out to whoever, and you're not always going to get a response, but you won't know until you reach out.
0: For a lot of people, I feel like this is a wall for them, right? It's eliminating beliefs. So what can people do to shatter a lot of these self-imposed limiting beliefs and and really begin to put together what I mean you're describing are some pretty extraordinary goals, but their own sort of set of extraordinary goals,
1: yeah, you you know like I said, I mean the big thing is you you have this voice throughout the process. You'll have the fear. You'll have the doubt. Um, it's okay to have all those voices. You you know you'll have the who am I syndrome. I still go through that. <laughs> I mean I wrote a book uh, that was endorsed by the Dalai Lama, and I'm not saying this to brag, but I still be like I'm a terrible writer. You know I have no desire to write another book shortly because it's like it's <laughs> I don't think it'll do well. So all that stuff will show up, and that's okay. There's this kind of myth of confidence too. You know people say just be confident, and do this thing. But if you've never done this thing before, you can't possibly be confident. So what I've come to learn is it's not about being confident. It's about being committed. And once you make a commitment, then you have to exercise courage because, again, you're doing something you've never done before. Once you exercise courage, then you develop capabilities. And through those capabilities, you'll develop confidence. So it's this commitment, courage, capabilities, confidence. I learned this from my business mentor, (laughs) you know, one of my business mentors. So. Um, So yeah, you want to make that commitment and then exercise courage to develop those capabilities. And then once you get good at something, like I'm pretty confident in my running abilities now, not with the next run that I have planned if it's like a huge mileage that I've never done before, but I'm confident that I can go and run a marathon today. You know what I mean? Like I've gotten to that point that I'm confident in that, but you develop that through taking that first step. So just engage that voice and then show up. I mean, once you set again, find your worthy struggle, set some mini targets. You always want to set many targets on the way to getting to the larger vision. I mean, my thing is not just a large vision, right? Like I always have a ton of mini targets that I'm working towards. So you can set 90 day goals. 90 days, a good way to break down your, your, your targets into 90 day chunks. And uh, once you have your 90-day chunks, then you break them down into like monthly, you know, weekly, what are your daily to-dos, and you systematize the process to ultimately reach those targets and navigate the emotions of the process. I mean, the big reason why most people don't get it is because it is hard. Nothing worthwhile happens easily, despite what the world may tell you. So you've got to ha- navigate the struggle, navigate the fear, navigate the anxiety. Be with all of it, uh, but don't let it become you.
0: I use 90-day structures as well for my goals. I'm curious, why do you... Use ninety days, and what is that structure like for you of setting the goals? Is it more? Is it on the goal? Is it is the focus on the goal? is the focus on the process? Is it the goal and you're breaking things down? Like what do your ninety day goals look like?
1: Yeah, they're a bit of uh, both, you know, like focusing on what's the what's the target uh, and then and then you know breaking the target into smaller milestones and then focusing on the process. like one of the gaps I realized is, I tend to be a person who will embrace the highs and then struggle with the lows, like going to these extremes. But the mundane was always a challenge for me. Right. But <laughs> so still kind of now navigating that. Okay. You got to be in the mundane. You got to be in the day to day, focus on the process. It's not just about, the marathon or like the running across countries that i do it's about every single step that it takes to get there so you want to you want to have the the vision in the back of your mind but on a day to day you want to focus on the process process over result uh, and plenty of studies have also shown that if you focus on the process like they did this one study with people in the gym if you focus on the process of working out as opposed to the end result of the losing weight not only do they enjoy the process more but they actually were more successful in the result so um focusing on the process, but you just kind of set the target and then keep that in the back of your mind. So that's why I mentioned like I have a vision board. I, you know, I have my, my targets written down. Um, I systematize everything. So I, like, I surround my world with what, you know, with who I want to be and what I want to create.
0: For a lot of people, I think they get inhibited by their habits, right? And you've talked about some bad habits that you have had over time and you've been able to replace them with better habits. How does somebody do that?
1: Yeah, habits are everything, you know. Marshall Goldsmith, one of the leading uh, peak performance guys, he wrote, best-selling author, he, he says that human behavior change is the hardest thing for us adult sentient human beings to accomplish. Or he says, yeah, behavior change is the hardest thing for adult sentient human beings to accomplish. And he's right. Behavior change is very, very, very hard. Um, so the process is, I mean, just, I mean, there's a lot to break down in habits. That could be its own conversation. But one of the big myths I will address on habits is, if you look at habit research and I've looked at it a lot, often people will say, you know, oh, here's how to make the process easy. You will f- see a lot of stuff where people will feed the easy, the effortless, and those are key words that I've seen directly associated with habits. The the most important habit to engage is the will. It's, it's a kind of paradoxical habit because the will itself is not a habit, right? Like, I mean, it's habits is automatic. The will is not, it's forced, it's engaged, but the will like getting exercising willpower is the most important habit to engage. And that trains you to engage suffering. So how do you change a habit? You exercise consciousness to then ultimately to build a new, new automatic. And eventually that, that thing will become automatic. So, but you have to exercise conscious behavior. And again, there's a lot of neuroscience that goes behind this in order to change the neurological pattern into your wiring. So exercising conscious behavior requires effort it requires the will. So that's one thing and then setting up environmental structures. So like a quick thing like just if you're if, you're, if you' want to stop eating desserts, don't put an ice cream in your fridge. you know So setting up environmental structures is invaluable without a doubt and you'll see a lot of talks on that with uh, with the habit building. So create an environment that's conducive to the habits you want to create. Like, you know, don't put desserts in your fridge or, or eat from smaller plates is a simple thing you can do to eat, eat less. Again, research has shown if you eat from a smaller plate, you will inevitably eat less, all kinds of things you can do in terms of that category. But those are the two I would say if, if uh, to sort of simplify the process of habit building is, uh, create an environment conducive to the habits you want to build. And, um, Exercise the habit of willpower, and there's also stuff like uh, uh, BJ Fogg talks about as m- small habits, like mini habits. So there's things you can do to to attach like one habit to the other. So for example, if I want to floss, I will put my floss next to my toothbrush, and so then it reminds me to you know to floss uh, when I go brush my teeth in the morning, which is already a habit. So whatever's already a habit, you attach the new thing to it. That's where again the environmental creation comes into play. So environmental creation, and fundamentally, regardless of what anybody else says. Uh, exercise the will. Learn to suffer well.
0: <laughs> Here's the last question I got for you, Mike wanted me to ask it. Um, what are some effective strategies for enhancing productivity and accomplishing greater results in less time?
1: Systematize everything. Um, <laughs> absolutely systematize everything. So once you have clarity, you've broken it all down, right, 90-day goals, weekly goals, what are your top five for the day? Break it down in a chunk. So when I say systematize everything, turn everything into a checklist. So I have, I have an app on my phone that I use. It's called, uh, just to share the, it's called Todoist. And I use this to systematize everything. So like, for example, I have a morning routine that, I, that when I wake up in the morning, all I gotta do is follow the system. I just follow the checklist. The more you have to think about things, you're you're wasting energy. It's cognitive energy, so you don't want to think. You want to remove thinking from the process as much as possible. Uh, that way, when you have to think, when you have to engage your will and consciousness, you've saved that energy for the task at hand, uh, which is like for me, running and working on my business. But everything else is systematized. I have a system for how I shower. Like I'm that crazy about it. <laughs> so that's what I mean. Like systematize your morning routine. And then what I do is I work in chunks. So I'll set up a 50 minute timer. I work in 50 minutes. Take a 10 minute break. 50 minutes 10 minute break and i work in two chunks take a longer break and then i'll do two more chunks so but it's all systematized and during each each chunk i know exactly what i'm doing in that time frame one thing at a time so everything is systematized my night routine my morning routine i have a routine for how i go for a run for how i shower for my nutrition uh literally i mean i'm i'm working on a travel system right now like if i if something's not systematized i'm working on it as we speak
0: well, a lot of people i think believe that If you systematize things too much, then you lose creativity. But it sounds like you're creating a lot within the system. Can you explore that for me?
1: Absolutely. You create a system for creativity. I mean, you create a system to 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 structure. Like people, again, yeah, I, I you know, people will say like, oh, you what about like being fluid? You create a system to be fluid. Uh, you know, like like okay, in this time, I will be fluid. Like uh, in one day a week, I do whatever, you know, or, or something like that. Like uh, I will just just have fun. I will go chill out with my family and, and whatever that may be. So you systematize even that. Like I have white space. One of my one of my uh, uh, systems. Systematized showers is where I'll say it's a white space creative thinking shower So that's a system for a, a space for me to just ponder in the shower And usually I'll go in with one problem I want to solve and in fact just today I did that and it came up with some great answers for my problem <laughs> You know, so uh, you systematize the process of white space systematize the process of creativity Systematize pro- uh, Procrastination you can say during this time. I just want to procrastinate but uh, fundamentally and I'm not like perfect at it by any means, but I'm definitely getting better and better <laughs>
0: Actually, we're getting a little uh, uh, close towards the end of our time. Is there anything else, words of wisdom, thoughts, um, life experiences, things that you want to share with the audience?
1: Uh, Just, I mean, I've kind of touched on this, but to really hone in on this point, most important skill you can develop in life to live a happier, more meaningful, and more fulfilled life is to develop a positive relationship, to struggle, to suffering, however you want to, whatever word you want to use. But develop that positive relationship. Learn to love it uh, because you're going to experience it in life whether you like it or not. And if you're seeking out something worthwhile, if you're pursuing a meaningful goal, you're definitely going to experience it as well. So develop a positive relationship to that. And um, and yeah, it'll be a beautiful thing.
0: Awesome, man. You are Incredibly fascinating guy. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been a pleasure. If you're listening to this, you want to learn more about Akshay, everything he's doing. I'm going to post some links on the Craft Christmas website and in the description of the podcast so that you can learn about him and his book and everything he's doing uh, more easily. Thank you again.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: It's dating coach Chris Thone here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter. Share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.